We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Coming at you Thursday afternoon, it's November 2nd. And it's been a week. Uh, the Wolves, of course, blew a 21-point lead uh, in Atlanta on Monday. And then 48 hours followed up with a 21-point win over the defending champs and totally redeemed themselves. Uh, I've got Britt Robson from Min Post here with me, Britt. Uh, not to take away from the win, but I think it wasn't exactly shocking that the Wolves played Denver well, which I, I mean that as a as a compliment. It's kind yeah. of the epitome of what I think many of us have come to think about this team as for a year now. You know, like the cliche, the team that can can beat anyone and and lose to anyone, which again does kind of sound like the same team as last year. Uh, a team that had performances like this a year ago. Right. I thought I thought Finch uh, put it really well uh, after the game and saying that this is a team that has to stack performances for us to think it's anything different. Exactly. 30 comes when you stack performances like this on top of each other. So that remains to be seen. Um, but this was a great focused effort. Um, executed everything that we talked about really well at a high level. Um Defensively, I thought Rudy and um, Jaden McDaniels were outstanding and kind of set the tone there. And, you know, offensively, we did what we had to do when we had to do it to take advantage of what we thought we could take advantage of. So, Britt, I, I will say, like, credit here to Finch for downplaying the win. Yes. Um, because I gave him in my head or on, on the show a little bit of a hard time for downplaying the loss. Hmm. Uh to Atlanta, right? I was a little bit annoyed with some of the comments in the, you know, right. He was connecting it not to the the blowout in Atlanta or blowing the lead in Atlanta, not to past performances that looked exactly the same. And I kind of internally rolled my eyes at that. But um, if, as Dilo would say, never too high, never too low, you know, if, if that's the way he's going to be, you know, I need to respect it um, both ways. And it's probably just a good idea for us not to to do that not let our belief swing massively with this team acknowledge the lows acknowledge the highs um i think 
both of us, we we lost some belief on, on Monday after that Atlanta game. Uh, you know, you seem to lose some of that belief uh, in your in your column that you wrote after that game. Yeah. What does what does the the Denver game do to build back up some of that belief, if that makes sense? Well, not to be a jerk about it, but it reinforces <laughs> yeah. the whole similarity to last year. I mean, it is very, very difficult. Uh, and before anybody accuses me of being overly cynical, I will point out that this is the second year in a row that I've been gung-ho about the team coming out of preseason <laughs> and have them totally uh, yo-yo their performances to the point where the Toronto game, sure, you could say it was a bad matchup. You could say they lost by only three points. They gave up 34 points in transition to a Toronto Raptors team that while they are opportunistic, are not an offensive juggernaut. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they were superb in half-court defense means nothing if you give up 34 points in transition. That's a you don't win ball games doing that. That was right out of the gate. That was right after an unblemished preseason where everybody played in sync, played exactly the way Finch had said, this is what we want to do going in. And what he said before and after games and what we saw on the court tracked almost 100%. All of a sudden, the offense was a bunch of hero ball and the defense wasn't getting back in transition. Right. Then they go against Miami and it was impressive. Uh, on the other hand, Miami hasn't won since and they were on the back-to-back -back of a Celtic game that was incredibly high stakes. The Celtics, it was their home opener for the Celtics. The last time they played the Heat, they were eliminated on their own court. Yeah. And they're the, probably the best team in the NBA right now. And the Heat gave them a good game. That was a very well-played game. So the fact that the Heat didn't have anything left, credit the Wolves for grinding them down. It was a, one of the most impressive Grizzlies-like performances in terms of them just grinding a team down to the point where they would have beaten Miami by 10 or 15 more points if they played another quarter. It was obvious. Right. So, okay, you're one-on-one -on -one now. You're tracking. Then you go game three, and you finally see the offense in all its glory against Atlanta, and then you see um, just a wretched example of your stars not understanding what it takes to win ball games. Having one of your barometers, Mike Conley, have food poisoning and the fact that he contributes to the dysfunction rather than stopping the dysfunction was hugely influential. And you had an Atlanta team that by the end of that game, they were clowning. They were playing. They were doing Globetrotter stuff, you know? Yeah, like you say, if it, if the Wolves would have beat Miami by 10 or 15, if they played a fifth quarter, the Wolves might have lost by 30 or 40 if they played a fifth Exactly. Quarter so all of a sudden you're one and two. Then you come home. It's the champs. On the other hand, they do play Denver tough. Part of that is that Kat and Jokic yeah, I want to get into this. Yeah. were on – like a kind of an equal plane five years ago, six years ago. And Kat usually got the better of Jokic. You talk about all the great matchups in the centers at that time, the Embiid's, the, you know, whoever it is. 
Go bear. And you go bear. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. And so uh, he fared probably best against Jokic than anybody. And then the infamous or the famous, in our case, Taj Gibson strip of Jokic to end that season for Denver. Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing flipped it and went the other way. But again, for whatever reason, the Wolves match up well with Denver relative to their composite skill sets. Let's peel that back. Let, let, let's right. talk about this because, again, you know, in, in the summertime when there was like a post-depression like rise of what the Wolves were last season. Right, right. Exactly. As many people came out and were like, you know, that's a tough – I mean, players who played in that series, so not to discredit that. Um, said that the Wolves played them a, as tough as anybody, and and wh- where I was at with damning them, with faint praise, but yeah, I, I needed to see it again. Right. Um, and we saw it last night, and so I'm gonna give it credit, and I am right. going to, I, you know, and I, people listening know I, I I said that before the series, I, I went on that that Denver show and um and said I think like of the options of the Wolves to play of the you know the the top seeds. I think the Wolves match up best uh, against Denver. And, you know, that was obviously met with eye rolling. I wasn't saying I was picking the Wolves to win that. But the reason I said that was because we saw the Wolves play Denver at home last season. And Kyle Anderson, the cat's out. Kyle Anderson guards Nikola Jokic. And Rudy Gobert is lurking off of it. And Aaron Gordon had a terrible game because... Gobert is not really acknowledging him, so they had to go to him. They had to go to Gordon over and over again, and it it, it kind of broke um, Denver in that in that matchup. And that was a Denver team with Bruce Brown and Jeff Green, absolutely. And and so I was my hesitance was okay. Kyle Anderson did it. Now in the playoffs, can Carl do it? Will they even try to do that? Like that's that's right. I mean, you remember us talking about it. Sure. I was like. Are they going to do this? Are they going to put Carl on him? I'm like, I entering that series. I'm like, that feels like a recipe to getting Carl to foul out, you know, more games than he plays the duration of it. To Carl's credit, in that series and last night, did a really good job in that Jokic matchup, given that Gobert was there in, in the lurking position to, I think, take away two things. It makes it harder Right. For Jokic to be able to pass to those cutters cutting down the lane, because Rudy's kind of there. You know, that's the whole Jokic thing. Like, he spins off of a post move, the double comes, and he finds whoever, Bruce and Brown, the, cutting down the lane. That, you just hit, I think, the main point, mm-hmm. which is that Jokic gets so many of his assists, and they are so impressive because they're either hitting somebody in the pocket for a long jumper in rhythm. Right. Or they are hitting somebody who's cutting from any kind of angle, either baseline, either slot, mm-hmm. wherever it is, Jokic's peripheral vision and touch on his passes is superb. But the thing is, is that Jokic also is so fucking good at understanding the uh, what happens after the guy gets the pass right. that having Gobert there, he knew all those cool slot passes that he would make were not going to be any good. So he had to hesitate and he had to do a lot more banging off the dribble than he usually does. And he had to do a lot more of these 
fake shots and then kick to the corner. It wasn't a classic Jokic carve them up game, you know, because it wasn't there. Exactly. Like, exactly. And, and 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 not it, it isn't all the cat and Rudy dynamic. I think having all this extra length, you know, I, I I tapped you at the beginning of the third quarter, and I'm like, the passes off ball aren't there for right. Jokic. Right. Like, and that's when you got Jaden out there, and maybe Kyle or Kyle's at the three. I mean, you have the Wolves more often than not this season are playing more players than they're not that have seven plus foot wingspans. As like yes. a fact, they're playing like three four guys at any given time that have seven foot wingspans on the right. floor. And that takes away a lot of passing lanes that just, if you are in tune and paying attention as they were last night, like those are going to be hard to find. And, and I'm with, not to say one is more important than the other. I think that was really important. Jokic only has three assists in that game, but the go bear lurking thing, I think has more impact in that it makes it a lot harder for Jokic to score from two point range. Yes. And, and, and last night, I don't think it wasn't too crazy. I don't think Jokic was still over 50% from two point range is one for six from three. So I think this was at 10. So he was, yeah, he, what one for six from, from three point range. And I think 11 for 17 overall. Um, but in that playoff series, I, I looked this up this morning. Jokic shot 48% from two point range. For the rest of the playoffs, he shot 62% against Phoenix, 52% against the Lakers, 62% against Miami. That's 59% in in the playoffs from two-point range, not against the Wolves, 48% against the Wolves. Right. That is a product of it being harder, not impossible, but a lot harder for him to score when both Cat and Rudy and then Jaden flying in last night too mm -hmm. to kind of collapse on that Jokic stuff at the right time. It is going to be harder for Jokic to do his bail us out, get us a bucket, go inside and, you know, body up some people. Um, and I think that is a major win. And I don't know, I, I don't think it's really debatable anymore that this is, I'm not saying the Wolves are better than the Nuggets, right? But it's not debatable anymore that this is a good matchup for the Wolves. I, I, I really believe that. We haven't even talked about that whole ant dynamic. Who right. killed them in the playoffs because they didn't have anybody who could guard them less so last night. But that's the other prong to this where if Ant's going, that's going to be harder for them to guard this, the Wolves in general. I think all that is right. I think that a big difference between the regular season and the postseason for Denver this year last year, I mean, was that they lost the Jokic minutes, almost like the way the Warriors lose the Curry minutes mm -hmm. and the non-Curry minutes. Um, and in the playoffs, Bruce Brown and Christian Brown and Jeff Green played so well yeah. that they did not lose those minutes. Mm -hmm. And last night, I don't know what the – I didn't look at the plus minuses on everybody, but I could tell when Jokic was off the floor – uh, they were bereft on offense. They had but, nothing. Hmm. They had nothing. And um, that is, they're going to have to find some, they're going to have to develop some people. And I didn't see it last night. I mean, right. Nanji and, uh, and um, you know, Christian Brown did not have the same game. No, it's, it's Reggie Jackson, Christian Brown, Zeke Najee, and Peyton Watson, and Julian Strother off the bench. Yeah, and that's just not enough, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, if 
And that's why Jokic will probably be much more valuable to this team than he was last year. Bruce Brown was so valuable, you know, because he could do so many things. He was a Kyle Anderson in a very different body. But, I mean, he could be the point guard. He could be the power forward. He could be the guy who drives to the rim or the guy who flashes off for the corner three. I mean, there was someone – and on defense, he also – he could guard the perimeter. He wasn't wasn't a stopper, but he would put his body on somebody in the paint and get help, you know, have that crucial second and a half, two seconds of standing somebody up enough to get help in the paint. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and it just – it is clearly what you're saying about the Wolves Denver matchup is accurate. But I want to get back to your original question to me was how much did this win mean about the Wolves overall? And I will go back to Finch's statement because yeah. I remember when I was feeling 48 hours ago and I know what I'm feeling like now. And it is not an unfamiliar feeling. I felt it for four months last year. <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, when that last column I wrote for MinPost, I've dragged it out again because it's such a compelling stat for me. Ten game increments. This team never was more than two games above or below 500 the entire time. Right. It didn't matter whether Cat was hurt or not. It didn't matter whether Mike Conley was running the point or Delo was running the point. It didn't matter whether Rudy Gobert was tripping over himself or having a fantastic game. It didn't matter. This team was relentlessly mediocre. They were relentlessly 500 team. And so what is happening now is you have a situation where they're two and two. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> they they shouldn't have yeah. lost to Toronto. But then again, that Miami win, even with the fact that Miami was tired, was impressive. Right. No way in hell they should have blown a 19-point lead to the Atlanta Hawks, even though the Hawks, I think, are a very good team this year. They blew that game as much. They had that game taken from them. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a bad loss. Then they turn around and beat the defending champs who were undefeated at the time. Um, What Finch says is accurate. When they're 5-2, when they're 7-3, when they're 11-4, then I'll talk about this team, you know. Mm-hmm. Then I'll say, hey, the guy who said they were going to win 48 games and have the five seed, you know, I said that, what, two weeks ago? That guy may know what he's talking about this time. The year before, I said they were going to win 49 or 50 and finish as a four seed, and they were 42 and 40 and finished as an eight seed. I see at the current time, until I'm convinced otherwise, that they are – in the play-in, you know, scrum at the moment. And and that is not to deny all the cool things I've seen. But I saw a lot of cool things last year, too, right. you know. I've also seen some really ugly things. And, you know, I mean, I'm still waiting. Uh, it, it could be a, a, a sign of hope, but neither Ant nor Cat have played well this year. The fact that they're two and two, with those guys is, right. is kind of fascinating. Well, but I think these are the, I, I do think, and we, uh, those numbers of being five and five, 10 and 10, 19 and 21, all, all those things are, are, are true. And, and a, I can't, I can't disprove that. I think what we're looking for now is 
is that going to happen again or is it not? We're predicting. And so we need to look at things like the functionality of some of these defensive pairings, the, the Rudy lurking thing, the yep, the yep. whatever it might pairings on up, and then the Nas and Rudy pairing we're seeing. What is the Nas boomlet sustainable? All these sort of things. And I think that's the conversation. We can we can have the presumption that this is a 500 team until being proven otherwise. I'm with yes. you. I, I'm on that too. But let's look at what we're seeing. Let's talk about some of these numbers. Absolutely. And the numbers portend something better than that. They do. What I will grant you is that the defense should be very good. Can I, I mean, give you a stat? Can yeah. I give you a stat? So the uh, Denver's three worst. So so last night the Wolves hold uh, Denver to a 91-8 defensive rating, which is. Offensive rating, but I get you. Oh, offensive rating, yes. Um, which. Is is very bad. They're, they're they're worst of the season this year, of course. I looked up. I was like, okay, how does that compare to their worst offensive performances last year? Denver's worst offensive performances. Their three worst offensive performances last year were against Memphis, the best half court te- defensive yep. team in the league last year. Yep. Their second worst performance was against Milwaukee, the third best defensive half court team last year, and their third was the Minnesota Timberwolves who were, when Rudy Gobert was on the floor, yeah. at the level in the half court defensively of Memphis and Milwaukee. And we saw it again. I would say that Memphis and their, that Memphis team from last year yeah. would be a good matchup. They would match up well with, with that Denver team from last year. And that year. was a 50, what was it? How many games did Memphis win last year? 52, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and then Milwaukee, like that was, I mean, Milwaukee got one more games than anybody, right, right? But but I was like, you know, even once I started getting kind of excited about the idea of Denver uh, last year before the playoffs or right when the playoffs started, I was like, Milwaukee's going to be tough for them because they match up. Well, right. with Denver, that never that collision never happened. I don't want to totally put the Wolves in that grouping, but now of Denver's four worst offensive performances in the last eighty-seven, yeah, you know, regular season games, two of them have have come against the Wolves, and that's I, I think that's noteworthy and suggests something. Let me let me get a quick add in here before you respond right. to that. Um, following night this Saturday, uh, the the Wolves. Obviously, play the Utah Jazz. It's a Saturday night. I'm sure a lot of people will be be there watching the game. If you're looking for a place to go, I think obviously on a weekend, uh, that's a the fun place to get together with Wolves fans and uh, watch this team. I we've talked about before. Bally's struggling a little bit to to show all of these games. Um, if you're watching it uh, via you know the the Bally Sports app, uh, you know that's a whole separate sort of thing. It's gonna be on at Falling Knife. Um, if you are like many people who have not been able to watch uh, this Atlanta game, one lucky for you, but you missed this Denver game, unlucky for you. You can watch uh, the Wolves on Saturday uh, at Falling Knife or uh, on Monday uh, when they play the Boston Celtics. So we just wanted to put that on uh, your radar. That's uh, Falling Knife Brewing Company just off of uh, Broadway in in Northeast Minneapolis. Britt, do you think I'm overrating the way in which the Wolves match up with I them. think you're presenting a positive, realistic scenario. Uh, let's, let's go. Which, well, I mean, you know, it, it's uh, 
I could make compelling arguments in favor of this team going on some kind of run last year. And I don't want to keep harping back on this. I don't think that's what I'm doing, though. No, 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 no. I, I thought, I'm not, no, I, I'm not I, saying I believe you are. in that team. I'm yeah. not saying you are. But what I, I – let me flip it the other way. Let me have – because I have two ways of thinking about this. And the way I agree with you is I do believe that very good defensive teams are more – prone to be consistently high caliber mm -hmm. than very good offensive teams yeah. um, because it's a make or miss league. And if you, your wins rely on makes um, you are more fluctuating than if your wins rely on opponent misses. Yes. Uh, and I am not all in on this team offensively at all. Oh no, 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 you that, can't be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I, on the other hand, as somebody, and I know you you join me in this, but I, I'm I, I take ownership for this, and I am very was very much this way, and may still be if it changes. But I was not a Gobert guy. I really did not like the fit. I did not like uh, the confidence with which people were quote unquote running it back. Um, whatever is wrong with the Wolves thus far this season is not Rudy Gobert's fault. Rudy Absolutely. Gobert. And we're saying that after what he shoot last night, 0 for 7? That's exactly I, I what I kind of want out of him, quite frankly. Well, you know, let's leave the talk about him being involved or engaged or, you know. Mm -hmm. I want Rudy Gobert to be a, a sublime role player, which means one of the best defensive players in the league right. and being a guy who gets other people's offense off by his gravity or by mm -hmm. his screens. You know, right. anything that Gobert scores is gravy to me. Mm -hmm. A putback bucket from Gobert is what I want to see or fouling and having him make his free throws. Last night, that's what happened. He made some free throws, did not score otherwise. But did anybody think Gobert leaving the game or Gobert coming back in the game when he left the game was at a, a good thing for the Wolves when he came back in was that a bad thing for the Wolves anybody who watched that game last night would say absolutely play that guy as much as he needs to play for all the reasons you just enumerated about lurking and I, I find it very interesting by the way that when Finch you know shouted out defense he didn't shout out the guy who guarded Jokic most of the night he shouted out the guy who was lurking most of the let, night. let me play that clip so you mentioned Carl guarding uh, Jokic. Why, why is uh, it that Rudy in kind of that lurking role works so well in this matchup? Well, I mean, um, you know, I think really good at the rim. You know, if they're going to put Gordon at the rim, we're going to put Rudy at the rim. So, uh, but it all comes down to everybody else doing their part. You know, it's not just as easy as that. You know, we've, we've done it before and they've had success. I'm sure they've seen it in other other lineups that around the league, and we have the luxury of being have, of having multiple guys, you know, that we can put on those guys, you know, whether it be Kyle and Nas too, um, and all of them. Uh, just like you have a great perimeter score, and you want to throw multiple defenders at them, like you know, I think one of our luxuries is that we can actually use our size where they're really good, you know. Love that answer. Yes, I do too.
the analogy part of it too of the, that really clicked in my head i was i asked that question i wasn't I wasn't thinking about it uh, that way. Right, right. I, I was just well. Saying, you wanted to get an answer that you didn't know, and yeah. you know that's always the best. <laughs> when, when, you know, rather than having, um, you know, we're not beat people, so we don't need to have a quote reinforce what we already think. We can we can think out loud and then be pleasantly surprised by the answer, which is a great right. advantage of not being a beat writer. But I would say. That Nas Reed, yep. if you talk about, you know me and Nas, I mean, I, I am a, you guys go I, I, am, I am the guy that said, if I had the choice between Nate Wright and Nas Reed, give me Nate Wright, Nate Knight. I mean, yeah. you know, give me Nate Knight. I've already forgotten his name. Yeah. But it's like, one of your worst. I, 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 I dissed Nas for years, you know, I just, Always, I thought about him falling down. I thought about him uh, always not having his position. He he didn't angle upright on players. He True. just looked like a babe in the woods when it came to defense. And then when I saw him lose all that weight, I thought, okay, great for offense. He does look like that really translates. But it's just going to make bad defensive habits look worse. And... Nas has, uh, it took what, what is this, year four, year five? I can't, I don't even know. Five, yeah. Yeah. I am finally sold without reservations on this guy because he has answered literally every one of the questions I had about him. Uh, his back to the basket game, where the hell did that come from? I mean, you know, he had it a little bit his first couple of years in the league, but it was still very rudimentary. And now he can go either hand, he can faint, he can, he can bulldoze or he can fade away and hit a banker. Uh, he can hit a little floater. He can go up and under. Uh, the left, he, man, the left, that's the difference. That's what he's added this year in the post is where he can post up on that left block and he can spin baseline and he can finish with his left. You and I were talking about that last yeah, night. Yeah. That's the difference of it. And now, I mean, the difference is is that is adding to the bag, right? But also, I mean, he's being guarded by Peyton Watson. Nas plays like the four now, right? And he's going to be matched up often by small ball fours in ways that Carl used to be, except right. he's not seeing the doubles, right? So it's just work. I, I I looked it up last night. Nas has seven post ups this season, seven buckets. Yeah, that's that's what that was my memory of it. You know, I mean, the guy just. And then that's just like one, that's a sliver yeah, it's of what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, put Nas in the corner, you whip the ball to him. Nobody in the corner on the weak side gets covered unless you're Steph or somebody. Mm -hmm. So he's wide open to some extent. On the other hand, there's a guy that probably starting to scout him now to know, you know, if don't leave, don't, don't be content to have Nas be in the corner. So somebody's going to be coming at him. Well, it just so happens that this 6'9 guy is now uniquely qualified to cross over dribble somebody and leave them in the dust and then be facing a incoming big at the rim. Mm -hmm. And he's got, a, he's got a finesse game or he can go and draw the foul. Big finishing he, package. Or he can yeah. dish, you know, yeah. Um, offensively, 
he has expanded his game. And then defensively, what he has done, and this is not intentionally meant to slight Cat, but it does by inference. He knows how to work with Rudy Gobert right now, right now. You know, he did not have last season to get to learn how to do this. Yeah. He understands when Gobert is coming to take his man and what he should do when he releases his man to Gobert. He understands when he has to stay with his man because Gobert is thinking about the guy, his own man, perhaps coming up the gut or getting the ball over him. Uh, there are definitely times, especially uh, I think it was the Miami game. It might have been the Atlanta game where he got backdoored baseline a couple of times. There, He's not perfect, but, mm -hmm. oh, my God, compared to what he was like on defense last year, let alone his terrible first two or three years. Um, he's playing a different but, position, man. And he is – he has designed himself to play that position into a complement of somebody else's best stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is somebody. And, who, and and who are you saying that someone is? Gobert. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Nas Gobert pairing as a front court defensive pair is one that makes me feel good about what's going on on the court. Mm -hmm. They they're not going to be perfect, you know. Front courts are. Always got when you're into the front court and you've got a head of steam or whatever's going on, there's always going to be plays where it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I will tell you that um, it's better than slow mo and Gobert, which is a very good defensive front court. It is much better wow. than Cat and Gobert, which is a iffy uh, defensive front court. Um, I just happen to think that they have got something going on right now. Um, Gobert trusted. You asked, we, you, you asked Rudy about it last night. Let me play that. All right. Your relationship with Nas on defense seems to have grown a great deal in a very short time. What's that about, do you think? I think that's exactly what I said, you know, just him understanding that when I'm on the court, he, he's not a big anymore. Almost, he's got a. He's gonna got probably somebody in the. I mean, he wing. feeds you a yeah. lot more. A lot. I mean, seems yeah. the timing of when he lets releases his man. Is... Exactly. So I, I keep reminding him. You know, I'm here, so you don't need to come in as much. Uh, you know, I still need you to rebound, but I don't need you to come in and give away threes. So just know that I'm, I'm in there, and uh, it's been great. You know, it's been so much better, uh, and I've been obviously so much better too. So. Um, I think it just happens naturally now. You know, guys are uh, we we just been a more aware team defensively, uh, understanding the different lineups, and um, you know we turning that what people think could have been a disadvantage for us. We turning that into a strength. You know, because you know what I love about that quote. He says he's really good, and I'm much better too. Yeah. And it's it's true that he is so much better at conditioning and understanding his role, but also he's so much better because he has a guy that lets him do what he does. You know, it's yeah. just, and, and if you're looking for a reason to not have that 500 team until prove me otherwise skepticism, 
then look at things that are totally like bouquets that you did not see coming. And I did not see Nas Reed as a perfect compliment or at least a very good compliment defensively to Rudy Gobert. That was not on my checklist. Well, I mean, so so look at this. I, I, I have this because I did this when we were doing like a bold predictions thing. Uh, but before the season, my, one of my bold predictions was that the Rude, Rudy and Nas thing is going to work really well. And the reason <laughs> I was saying it was bold was because it had been terrible. Like, right, I, right. The, you know, the net, I mean, he had a minus defensive 12. rating 114. It, it, offensive rating 101.4. I yeah. mean, it was, they were a minus 12.7. He, he, his next worst two man net rating was minus 3.1 with Jalen Noel. I, I mean, it, it was a terrible pairing last year. And what I said when we were talking about this was I, I didn't know it would happen for sure. But the reason I believed in it a little bit was that whenever Rudy and Nas played together, it was these little like two minutes here, two minutes there. There was never outside of Nas week a real commitment to it. And I thought that that was skewing the numbers in that sort of way that I think well, probably for both of them. They needed to get in a rhythm with themselves in, in continuity. And you can't have that when you're playing. You played four minutes together on Monday and then you didn't even share the floor until the next Thursday. Like how, right. how are they going to figure that out? I think they knew coming into the season, it was going to be a thing. And now, you know, I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but they're probably playing, I don't know, 14, 15 minutes a night together. Like mm -hmm. that is a, that is a massive change. And that, again, a reason when we're looking for these bluebirds, right, that right. suggests something better. Um, I, I point I point to things like this that have not been extrapolated over a large sample size. Right. You could, said, yeah, you're right. It could go south. It, it could go south. And that's why I kind of scoffed at the, like, better than Rudy and Kyle Anderson defensively. Like, let, let's see. Let's right. see on right. some of that stuff. Um What's good, what happens the first time they play somebody where there's a four that can really expose Nas, right? A mm -hmm. real weapon that he has to be guarding there. What does that look like? Does it, do you got to pull the plug on it? We've had no pull the plug moments yet, which I think means that we believe in it more now. We need to, we need to see more of it, but uh, I think it's no longer a bold statement to say that the Rudy and Nas pairing are going to be really good together this season. Yeah. And credit to you for seeing that because I wouldn't have said it. I will tell you. Well, I, mean, I might just be winning because I just keep betting on Nas Reed, you know? Like, <laughs> well, that's like, I mean, but I'm not sure I if guess. these are actually smart, but if you just keep, you know, look, man, you know, red 11, red 11, yeah. red 11. It's like, on the yeah. other hand, how often does red 11 come up arbitrarily? I think you, you, you should give yourself credit. Oh, I'm, take a firm believer. I'm, take I'm a firm credit. believer when I make a bad prediction. And I've made enough of them to know that yeah. eventually I learned from them and it took me four or five rounds of Nas before I finally learned. But yeah. at the end of the day, you earn the right to say, I thought this was going to happen. Hmm. And you did think this was going to happen a long time ago. And you said why. You liked his makeup. You liked the idea that he would improve himself. You saw what he looked like his rookie year. You saw how he had sculpted himself even his first year to the second year, and you said that out loud. Mm -hmm. So there is absolutely no reason why 
you know, I mean, believe me, when you're wrong, I love to tell you so. But uh, you were dead right about this and have been for a long time. And I was not. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's uh, move over to Carl. I, Carl. I think that's the, the, that's the I, tough I want, one right now. Yeah. I, I want it Carl and and Ant uh, as we kind of yeah. Those are those are both. Uh, they're hard to watch right now without like yeah. Um, you know, you, you you just say to yourself, it doesn't take a genius to understand how you could be so much better right now if you did something a little differently than what yeah. you're doing. Um, Finch gave pump the brakes on the Carl struggling sort of thing in the way he has in the past of this being yeah, uh, the big an adjustment. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. let's, I, to be fair, let's, let's play yeah. it. Let's, let's okay. hear what Finch has to say on it. Sounds kind of weird, but does Carl have to get used to playing against single coverage in the post again? Uh, I don't know. I, don't know I mean, like seemingly, um, faces a lot, you know, gets a lot of smaller guys who try to get down there and get under them. So maybe, yeah. I mean, I thought like I thought he did a good job of taking his time tonight, um, uh, really kind of backing people down and forcing something to happen just out of patience. Um, so yeah, but I think it's you know for Cat whether it be Smalls in the post or it might be you know just spacing. It's it's all still. He's he's trying hard. He's getting a little bit better every day at it. You know, and I, I always think about it. You know, we took on this is an all NBA player. 
that we asked to move positions, and you know he's just, he's still adapting, and all credit to him. And it's not easy, and he's been great about it. And I know it's at times been frustrating, but he's he's uh, learning a little bit more every day, and we're learning a little bit more every day how we can still you know use him to the full effect. You know, so the question now, right, Brett, is how long is that adaptation period going to be? And you know. Right. Well, I mean, statute of limitations. I I talked, I think the last time we were on a week ago, Ant would identify exactly what he did wrong and say, that was on me. That was on me. I did X, Y, Z wrong. I'm going to change it. How many times have we heard Ant say something like that? No, we heard him say it again. At least least 25, you know. And so at some point in time, you go to the old talk is cheap cliche and you just basically say, all right. That is a very effective way of squelching further criticism of you because you've acknowledged it and theoretically taken account for it. But if you don't improve on it and you say something similar to it, and he's still doing it, quite frankly, but Mm -hmm. on to Cat, um, there's going to be a statute of limitations on Cat is sacrificing so much. Well, if Cat was sacrificing so much, we would see how Cat is valiantly trying to do something and it just isn't working. And that's not what I'm seeing most of the time. I'm seeing Cat drive into a bevy of people guarding him, missing and throwing up his hands as he heads back down the court over and over and over again. I'm seeing Cat turn down threes that are wide open for no explicable reason, no explicable reason, I am seeing Cat uh, really, and, and I mean, the guy just basically lied to my face last night in the locker room when I mentioned the thing about you got in a hot mess with the officials. Like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? We're just playing basketball. Everybody in the arena could see that Cat took himself out of the game mentally for about four or five plays because he wasn't getting a whistle. And it's true. He wasn't getting a whistle. But guess what? Cat doesn't get a whistle because he constantly, in a very flagrant manner, paints himself as a martyr. And refs don't like martyrs. They don't like martyrs. And so when you act like a martyr, you do not get a favorable whistle. Now, to Cat's credit, which is where I wanted to go when I asked him the question in the locker room to begin with, because I followed it up by saying, you had that thing, you had that hot mess, and then you were able to settle down. How were you able to sit, settle down and get within yourself? He refused to even entertain the question. What are you talking about? We're just playing basketball. I go down the court, get back there in time. Da, 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 da. Bullshit. Don't fucking lie to my face in the locker room. I mean, if it had just been the two of us, exactly what I would have said. But why am I, you know, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it in the locker room, but I don't like being lied to. We all saw it. Yeah. So so cut the shit, you know? I, I think it uh you know, I, I think a lot of the the martyrdom, um, maybe the, the reaction in that sort of way is in internal discomfort with this not coming together right now for him individually. Um I do believe him uh when when he says when we're winning, I'm okay with it. Um, but you're not going to win every game. You know, you're probably going to lose 
at least 40% of your games, right? So so that that's what stuck out to me about that in our, our, our interview with him afterwards was I'm not sure the I'm cool with it, the the different role and being moved to a different position and all these things works if he says I'm only cool with it when we win. Um, because I think if we know anything about the nature of this team is they're going to fluctuate, right? And and when they need him most, I was talking to Jace about this yesterday, when they need him most is actually in the games when they're falling apart. I would have loved in that Atlanta game to, you know, what you, you blow the 19-point lead in the third quarter. It's 98-98 going into the fourth. Like, can Carl effectively put that on his back and pull them out of it? Um, I think it was a matchup that allowed him to do so. You know, he's being guarded by Jalen Johnson and Sadiq Bey. Uh, that, that's a, a matchup in which he should be able to take them into the post or he should just be able to, you know, chop them up at the top of the key and take them off the dribble or take a three in their face. Um, I, I think he needs some confidence in those areas to be able to do that, but that's a bad thing. He needs to be able to do that without the confidence. Right now he's five for 20 from three. So there's not the confidence in the three point game. And what we've seen historically over his career is in those times, he gets away then from taking it, which puts him in the situation to drive more. And, you know, 40% of the drives he falls over on, which leads to a transition on the way back. You know, it's this snowballing effect of negative things that he keeps somewhat afloat because he has so much talent and is so good. But, can we just not even put the snowball together and just be like, okay, Hey, they need me right now. I'm going to go do it and, and take it over. And in those meltdowns, which we have plenty of them, to be fair, Carl wasn't in a lot of them last year because he was out. I just feel like he should be the antidote to the meltdowns. Be he, here is the thing. I don't even know if I want to call it lack of self-awareness anymore or just deliberate duplicity. But Kat was asked last night, it was a softball question teed up. Finch says that as an all-NBA player, da, 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 you've sacrificed more than anybody on the team. His response to the first question, been like that every season. Oh, Really? I've been there for every one of your nine seasons. And are you trying to tell me that you've had to sacrifice more every season than all these other players that are coming in when Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders basically tried to build a monument to you on this franchise and everything revolves around Cat and everything happens for Cat? Was that you sacrificing more than anybody else on the team? I mean, don't say things to people and expect to get a free pass when our job is to reflect the reality of the team we're covering as best we can. Don't put me in a position to have to call this stuff out, you know? I mean, it's my job to say, he said X. X is demonstrably false. And when I'm asking a question that was going to probe the process, because I had said to the 
Cat had changed his demeanor with the media and with the public during the preseason. This may be a good thing. This could be Cat, you know, basically staying within himself and doing this. And through the first two or three games, that's the way I felt. I mean, I wasn't feeling that I wasn't ripping Cat for anything like that. When I saw him begin to get a little of that stray voltage energy toward the refs, toward the way he was playing. And to be fair, the guy got a couple of bad whistles. I will not deny that. I'm not trying to pile on the guy. I'm trying to reflect what I see as honestly as I can. And to be quite honest with you, am beyond weary of talking bad things about Cat. Nothing would please me more than to not have to do it. Right. At the end of the day, if you see a guy take himself mentally out of plays because of the whistle, and then you ask him about how he settled down, and he doesn't even acknowledge that he did it in the first place, you know, I mean, I'm going to stop the rant now, but I it needed to be said because yeah, this doesn't this doesn't compute, and and this type of thing more to the point because a relationship between a media guy and the guy is it what does this team have to deal with with that type of denial you know i well, mean that, that and that's what i like or just personally what i'm trying to focus on is like at, in in my job and in my analysis of the situation um reflecting on it and reflecting on the way in which I perceive Carl. Um, I've, I've covered him for, for six years uh, of his career as well. I think sometimes my interactions with him or hearing what he says elsewhere and all that can uh, skew my analysis of what he actually is or is not. And I'm kind of taking his lead this year and trying to focus more on the floor and less on off, off of it. Uh, from him because he's not wanting to do that. And I, and I found that to not be as indicative of real information. Good point. Um, and, right. and what, what is on the floor is real. And we're only four games into it. And I acknowledge he's changed positions and I acknowledge it's tough. I also acknowledge that Nas has adjusted to that significantly better than him. And Carl needs to know and acknowledge that. And, and then it's just been broadly ineffective. I was looking this up before uh, before the game last night, before the Denver game. Carl was 4 of 16 from 3, which is like 25%. Like, that's not going right. to hold. But the 16 is what I focused on. And I thought to myself, I was like, man, I feel like Carl's man, the guy he's guarding, has been taking a lot of threes against him. And I looked it up, and the guy he's been guarding, like, directly in the contest, as Synergy lays out in the tracking data, is 7 seven for 18 from three against him. And again, not looking at the four or the seven, I'm looking at the 16 versus the 18. And it doesn't make sense that the guy he is guarding is taking more threes than he is. That's never happened in his career. The The, the season before the last season, he took 165. The guy he guarded took 134. The year before that, he took 366. The guy he guarded took 324. 315 for him the year before that, 232. 278 for him the year before that, 192. It's going to get closer now that you're guarding fours, as those numbers indicate. Unacceptable for those numbers to be close. It's unacceptable for those numbers to be close. 
particularly if we believe in the notion that he is one of the best shooting big men of all time. You know who right. he's guarding? Not the best shooting big men of all time. Um, that needs to be found in a balance because it just makes sense to take more threes. Uh, he's great at it. And it gets him halfway back in transition defense. He's really struggling with driving to the basket yeah, and falling absolutely. over right now. That, man, I mean, I'm going to go through it at, at, at some point, either after this game or one of these games coming up, and I'm just going to look at all of his drives, and I'm going to track what happened on the subsequent possession for the other team. Right. Because in my mind, when Carl drives, the other team is scoring – 75% of the possessions the other way. And it's often in that semi-transition in the other way. So take the three, take yourself out of that. Lean more into that. There's less referee and stuff to deal with there. To like, my, to that's my, the starting point. That's to my point, point, having Cat take the ball off the dribble is one thing. Having him be out on the floor facing up against somebody and driving relentlessly hard to his left and then inexplicably but very effectively switching to his right hand while still being running from the left and banking it in, that's become a signature move. And if that's the way Cat is going to the rim, I'm okay with it because he sure. is. that has been proven to be something that's an effective weapon. Both you and I said two years ago, pre-Gobert, that the player that as a big he is most – similar to offensively now against Pat Bevier was Giannis as he yes. became an elite attacking the basket as a five player. Giannis normally does this exactly. before, but it, it exactly. looks that was the player he was most like. It wasn't a three-point shooter. It wasn't, I mean, he had that in ways Giannis didn't, but that's what made him special. And it was against fives. I think he's just struggling against it, against fours more. And what I am saying now is what I have seen most often when he is taking the ball off the dribble and trying to score inside is a combination of the, the hesitations, a lot of elbow uh, arm movement up top, trying to clear a path and trying to force something up. Mm -hmm. And then I think if not falling down to, call, to to exacerbate or to dramatize the fact he's been fouled, mm -hmm. at the very least, doing what actually Nas used to do early in his career, and I didn't like it then either, is yeah. essentially falling down because he thought that was the way to get forward momentum toward the basket, if nothing else. Right. But at the end of the day, a guy who has been proven over and over to be just having an exquisite stroke on his shot yeah to have it be something where he's forcing stuff against three or four defenders one or two of them usually mediocre defenders and then falling in a heap among them all while the other team goes up the court five on five four or five on three um we it it just doesn't work and i will tell you that that has nothing at all to do mm -hmm. with cats sacrificing four, five, and four because when he was just a five, he was taking people off the dribble to the left, and he can be taking people off the dribble to the left now and getting on his horse to do that. Or if it's not there, he can be dishing the ball. I mean, this isn't he and it's not there as often. It's not there as often. You know why? Because you have a player in the dunker spot. 
almost all the time when he's on the floor. Oh, well, that's Rudy true. Gobert. So that is a difference, right? He, he So that's why, that's another reason why I think you need to recalibrate shot selection a little bit towards more of a perimeter orientation. Like, well, at the very least, have the dunkers be on the weak side. I mean, yeah, if, and, if, remember when he drove right in, uh, he, he drove to his right, Rudy's in the right dunker spot. He kind of drives right into Rudy, kind of gives him a little handoff. Rudy goes left to the middle of the lane and Gordon blocks him. It was right in front of us right, under right, that hood. Right. Remember that's that? Right. Like yep, that's yep. because if, you know, again, <laughs> and if, if Rudy was could space in the corner, right. like that's a different thing. Cause then maybe Gordon comes in and he kicks it to, he kicks it to Gobert in the corner and that's a corner three. That's not Gobert's game. The drive is not going to be there as much this year, or the ways in which it is, is going to be with more resistance, which is going to lead to maybe more fouls, but maybe you're not going to get them, but it's going to lead to more bodies for sure, which is going to up the likelihood of falling down. And that is hurts this team so bad because, because there's such a bad half court defense. And is let's, give, let's give Cat credit where credit is due. Yeah, yeah. His defense in the half court has improved. Mm-hmm. He is not nearly, I mean, he's. Uh, I do not think he is as good as Nas or Slomo next to Gobert, but he also is doing things, the structure and the way they're playing defense and Gobert's activity have all combined to make him a better guy in the flow of that half-court defense, provided he can get back there. Are we done with Cat? I believe so. I think we're long done. Yeah, I mean, actually, (laughs) I've got got my problems with that, too. I'm going to be Mr. Homer today, boy. Um. Via the uh, Genesis company, we are giving away uh, two tickets to Monday's game uh, against the Boston Celtics. We had uh, two tickets that I believe it was what was Charlie W. Um, had those two tickets to, to the Nuggets game on Wednesday uh, that, that we, we gave away. Um, if you are interested in entering the raffle of sorts for these two tickets for Monday's game, um, we're doing this for the Patreon subscribers so if you are a Patreon subscriber, you just send us a me- message on there letting us know that you are available uh, to, to go to that game. Everyone who lets us know that they're uh, available will pick randomly from that group and we'll give away two tickets to what I think could be an awesome game, would be an awesome win uh, for the Wolves if they can beat Boston. That's the best team I've seen in the NBA uh, thus far in my the little bit of other NBA team watching I've uh, I've had the time to do so. If you want, if you already are a Patreon subscriber, just send us a message. Um, if you want to, uh, if you want to join, uh, Patreon.com/slash Dane Moore MBA. That's in the show notes um, in podcast or on on the YouTube channel. That's p a t r e o n dot com slash Dane Moore MBA. All right, let's do a, a little bit on Ant Brit and. Uh, you kind of brought this up before the sort of some of Ant's stuff is getting a little bit boy who cried wolf, if that's the uh, correct analogy to do there, where he's often saying the things he needs to do post game or whatever to the media, needing to change his shot selection, change his desire to go for points, all that. He said that again um, after the game last night, which I think can be, the quotes are dangerous or hearing him say that can be dangerous because you go, that's leadership. That's a young kid who's acknowledging these things. And I think in ways he is, 
but we are not seeing him consistently do that. Obviously, the Toronto game, he was too self-focused on his scoring um, and a little bit less so last night, but his words are not completely resonating, though I guess glass half full, it's good to hear him be thinking that. Here, here's what Ant said, which I think is going to get an eye roll from you afterwards. And how do you kind of kind of stay consistent with it now? You had a really good good night tonight. How do you back back that up and make sure that you get more of these coming? Um, starting with myself. Just can't come out being selfish, worrying about like um, however many points I want to score. Just playing within the game, playing within the flow. I think that's the main thing with me. You know, trying to I be worried so much about scoring and how many points I got and how many points I'm trying to get instead of just worrying about you know. The, the little things, rebounding, boxing out, getting back on D. So, like tonight, I really was, I, I wasn't really worried about scoring. I was just worrying about what can we do to win the game. So, I think if I come out with the mentality of, of like I said, not worrying about points, we'll be all right. When you when you do do that, are you thinking, hey, if I get to thirty or whatever, I just know we have a better chance to win, or what's kind yeah, of? Yeah, it's it's never really like a certain number. I'm yeah. just trying to score as many points <laughs> okay. as I can. So, <laughs> I, well, yeah, when I'm not doing that, I think we we in good shape. Mm -hmm. Can you feel it when you're pressing a little bit now? I don't even really call it pressing it. I just feel like I can make every shot that I take. So I just be like, I'm just going to take every shot. And I think, um, you know, when I step back and take a look, I'll be like, man, I, I got to play a little better. So, yes. So, Brett, like, I think he does realize after the fact, or maybe when he's told, but from some of the coaches that I need to, some of that feels like regurgitating maybe some of the things he's heard, which means it's in his brain we're not totally seeing that enacted on the floor. Is there any reason to believe that this does kind of concrete in him a little bit more or slowly dry over time? I, I want to think so. Um, Fitch has been saying for a long time now that he wants to discourage the mid range. He wants to see Ant get to the cup. Um, that is not registering. That is my biggest complaint thus far this year with Ant in terms of his shot selection. Um, just numbers from first four games from basketball reference. Um, from zero to three feet away from the basket um, for his career, Ant has uh, shot from zero to three feet 29.1% of the time. This year it's thirteen point nine, less than half of his. Those are shots average. basically at the rim, restricted area. Yeah, essentially uh, one out of seven shots where it used to be closer to one out of three. Yeah, um, and you know it, it's, and you're saying okay, well he's he's being more judicious. Well, except that you know he makes sixty three point six percent from that distance this year and sixty six percent for his career. So actually, the, the percentage is a little bit lower. Um, well, where is he making that up? Uh, from 3 to 10 feet, it's 21.5 this year versus 14.5% for his career. From 10 to 16 feet, 16.5% this year, 6.2% for his career. Um, and from... Uh, 16 feet out of the three-point line, 17.7% this year, 7.9 for his career. So bottom line, Ant is shooting the, the worst percentage shots 
and and it is you know a uh, it's it's an analytics you know factotum by now, and it isn't always true, but it is one of the kind of the gospel things that a mid range shot versus a shot at the rim or a shot from three is going to be less efficient. Mm-hmm. Well, to Ant's credit, he is shooting all these bad mid-rangers better than he has in his career this season, but those numbers are still, you know, 35.3% from uh, 3 to 10 38.5% from 10 to 16, 35.7% from 16 to 3. He's still shooting well under 40% from all those places, mm-hmm. and they don't have the multiplier effect of either getting you to the line or getting the extra point that you get from a three-pointer. Meanwhile, I mean, and this is an outlier, it's going to go down once he shoots more of them, but he's shooting 54.2% from three-point range this year, 35.5 for his career, and yet his percentage of threes taken is 30.4 compared to 42.3 for his career. I mean, it just doesn't add up. Um, he is basically, by his shot selection, sabotaging his scoring ability. Um, He's taken half of his shots from the mid-range. Half. 22% of them have been at the rim, 28% from three. That's a, a more simplistic version of it. That That's not what it was last year. Last year it was 37% of his shots at the rim, 28% from mid-range, and 34% of his shots from three. So, so it's from almost doubled, third, yeah. Yeah. From almost doubled his third, mid-range. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. And again, four games or whatever, uh, I think – I guess these things are obviously connected, but like less so than looking at the numbers and seeing them. Cause you're like, okay, you know, whatever that the eye test, Toronto game, the eye test. the eye test to me shows a significantly greater appetite for mid range shots. And, you know, and I don't want to just be the straight analytics guy. Cause obviously there's like value in that at times there's never been value in the mid range shot for Anthony Edwards. Every year of his career, he shot better from three-point range than he shot from the mid-range. Uh, and, you know, breaking news, those are worth an extra point. So it it's a bit concerning to me that that is the area in which he is looking to find it more. And, and, and the part I haven't, like, totally fleshed out in my head is how much of that is about surroundings versus individualism. Because we're talking... Or how much teams, now that he's a quote-unquote superstar in the making, are they trying to take things away from him? And I've been watching that. I would say they're taking the rim away, but they're not taking the arc away. Mm -hmm. And I would also say, remember when Ant was in a groove, and we all remember it, it is glorious to watch. Uh, He would rain a bunch of threes down, and then loosen everything up so that he could drive through people. True, true. Um, and even if Rudy is in the dunker spot or setting a screen or whatever, there have been some spacing issues, but last year he managed to get through them. Yep. Last night, he had two thunderous dunks. One of them was when the seas opened. Another one was a really nifty feed along the baseline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got those, but this 
what I am seeing from Ant that I did not see as much of in previous years and what you were talking about in terms of hunting long twos yeah. is it's like it's a plan of his to draw the guy out to the three-point line and then dribble around him and pull up. Like, mm -hmm. you know, this is what I this is what I set this guy up for. You know, I set him up. He thinks he's going to block my tray. No, no. I'm going to go around him and have a wide open 16-footer. Well, so, you know, can, can I can I ask you something? So yeah. like put your finch hat on. What do you do? Well, like I mean, like what it well, I mean cuz like I think pretty clearly he's saying something to him about this. Like and it's not it, working. It, it, I mean, so that that's the question. Then you have to ask yourself, how detrimental is this? Um, you know, is he going to settle back into a better balance of the shots and offense we want to get? Or do you need to do something? Which is, I think there's a couple answers there. It could be more structured play sets that skew away from that. Um, it could be pulling him. You know, it could be, it could be, uh, which that doesn't make sense. He's really your your best player. Like I think with the Finch hat on, it's a little bit tough to to navigate some of that stuff. And I think what Finch is he's doing the former, right? Like relying on the belief that Ant will settle back into a better shot mix. But watching it, it doesn't look like he will. And to me, but I don't. I don't. I don't know. Here's here's the thing that I think people have to recognize. Anthony Edwards shot eight for 15 last night, scored 25 points, and they beat one of the best teams in basketball yeah. handily. Sure. Everybody, huzzah, huzzah, right? What happens when he's not eight for 15? What happens when you've got a team that just matches up in an interesting way on paper? They're not as good. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm just talking about a scenario that has repeated itself over and over again in the Anthony Edwards's career, and it's not on Ant. But if you're talking about how to withstand nights when the other team seems to have it going and your team doesn't seem to have it going, you need the reservoirs of strength in your talent base to overcome that. Yeah. And that is where the difference between a chronically mediocre team and a team that does go seven and four, nine and five, 11 and six. That's how you get those games. You get those games uh, by not by showing, I did this right by my old standards. I got an eight for 15, 25 points. My team beat a good team. I want to talk about what happened in the second half against Atlanta. I want to talk about what happens against Toronto. I mean, well, what okay, but I hit the, here's the interesting thing, Brett, right? We got to, how I'm going to start pursuing thinking about Ant in every matchup is through the filter of who is going to be guarding him. How many people do they have to guard him? The, he shot three of seven, he shot 17 mid range shots exactly. against Toronto because Toronto has like, five guys they feel comfortable with guarding him or switching onto him that's for you know toronto's an imperfect team they do kind of have that right they have a dearth of they have a lot of different guys who can who can kind of guard him in a one-on-one -on -one reasonably well situation denver for as good as they are doesn't i think it's like a real conundrum they have to ask themselves of like 
do we want to put Aaron Gordon on Cat or do we want to put him on Ant? Because that's Gordon's their best matchup to put on Ant. They don't choose to do that. So I think through that filter of a team that doesn't have a bunch of guys that can guard him, he's going to, no matter what the shot selection is, have a pretty decent game. Well, what happens on Monday against Boston? Right. They're like Toronto on steroids with yep. Derek yeah. White, Drew yeah. Holiday, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Like, you are going to be guarded by a difficult-to-score-on wing. And they're all a possession. little bit different. That's tough. That's, right. That's tough as a scorer. So it's yeah. like th there needs to be discernment, I think, based on opposing uh, person. Or there's just the success is going to be a factor of opposing personnel. And that's not what star players do. Star players impose themselves and they are not reactive to what the, the other team has. Um, right. Well, I mean, games, but I guess I would play the Mike Conley card. He seems to have a tremendous amount of respect for Conley. You know, maybe Conley says, Hey, on this yeah. play, I'm going to do this. And if you're in the left slot behind the arc, I'm going to find you. Or something like that, you know. Or I mean, Finch for the first time that I was at least it was news to me. Like has this like emergency playbook that they can pull out yeah. to you know. And I bet you money a lot of that involves Ant either getting space for a drive or Ant being behind the arc. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it comes best out of second side. It's the you know you start yeah, with the yeah, mic. Yeah. Rudy, pick and roll, play off of that, get the ball to Ant off of against a shifted defense. This team does not run much pick and roll. But then like again. That, I mean, how many Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, just straight yeah. high quad pick and rolls have we yeah. seen? Right. A hell of a lot fewer than we saw in Utah. There's a lot of reasons for that. But again. But that I, should I, benefit Ant, not disbenefit him. You know, No, I disagree. I think that structure provided he is not the key cog of the structure in those actions should benefit him as a tertiary character in it to be able to do what Finch says is Ant's superpower, which is attacking a shifted defense, getting downhill. You're not, the defense is not going to be shifted. If he is the point guard and initiating the action himself or significantly, it's going to be significantly more rare. That's why it, when there's this, when Mike Conley's off the floor and Ant is out there, I think there's this like tingle on a lot of attentive Wolves fans spines that says we need a point guard out there. Yeah. Well, I mean that, and that that's been a concern of mine the entire time is that you don't have, and if you don't want to play J Mac, you don't have a guy that is going to automatically get at the ball in the place he needs the ball. Yes. Slow-mo is obviously option two in that. Mm -hmm. And Fitch will, try to put one of those guys on the floor at the same time, I would assume. Oh, at all times. One of Mike or Kyle right. on the floor at all times. And then again, I mean, the other thing you talk about, I mean, you meaning the Wolves, is transition. Getting in out in transition. Well, yeah. again, yeah, and that can work. But I would feel so much better. I just remember Ant from January of 2023. And I remember, yeah. you know, People being hurt and cat going down, and all of a sudden, Ant is Ant is running. Ant led the team in assists, points, uh, and obviously he's going to be defended so much differently now than he was back then. But what I liked about it 
was that he was thinking surgically in a way that maximized not only his game, but people around them, his game. Mm-hmm. And I would just like to see, I don't know where the mid-range infatuation became a stubborn thing. I mean, I get it when you're young and you have a tool that you've expanded your game on and you want to take this into your bag. And guess what? Well, lo and behold, other teams seem to agree that that is a tremendous thing you have in your bag because you're getting wide open a lot on that. You know, I mean, there's a catch there, isn't there? And yeah. and, and that's why um, I agree with you. And, and I think your pushback on the idea of Ant being short side um, on pick and rolls is a great way to have him work short side without resistance. But my point is, is that his mindset can overcome a lot of those things. If he's on short side, regardless of whether it's out of a pick and roll or whether he's getting a skip pass from somebody mm-hmm. or whether he's being noticed for a cut, um, I just don't see a lot of that. I mean, what well, is it's double edged too, right? Like I, to, to push back on my own point, like, what does Ant do when he's off ball? What does Ant do every time he's stand, in the corner? Stand, stand. Goes exactly. full Wiggins. Yeah, I mean, it's... So. And that's why I was... You took the words out of my mouth because I was just about to say, when was the last time you saw Ant make a really pretty cut? And he... I would answer last night along the baseline. He got rewarded with a dunk. But that was a different deal. That was when he was already down there. Yeah. Perhaps he even missed the shot. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I want to see that weak side, you know angular cut you know yeah. i want to see what what slow-mo dishes to everybody you know to ant yeah and and so much would happen if that happens again it has to be tough and i don't i don't think this is chris finch's fault i i'm a obviously i'm a, a finch guy but if your two best offensive players are not reaching their scoring potential. And the bugaboo of this team is offensive efficiency. Then it is incumbent upon you as a coach to somehow make it happen. You know, have some uncomfortable conversations. No, no, you, you nailed it. I mean, that that's the thing. Like, we feel confident about this being a top 10 defensive team. Maybe higher than that, honestly. I, I agree. And I think it is higher. And we're, what we're taking that belief from is having seen it for four games, that it can be an even better defensive team than it was a year ago. What we're also taking from the first four games is we're not moving the needle up on what this team is offensively this season compared to last year. They're 23rd last year. Uh, I, I don't see a reason at the moment to believe that's going to change anytime soon and and what is interesting to just break in for a second mike conley is doing it again on offense kyle anderson is doing it again on offense all right all right the three isn't there like it was last year but the game is there yeah, on yeah. offense Nas reed is getting minutes he's getting he 16 points in 19 mm-hmm. minutes last night yeah. um rudy's been better on offense they are not the crux of the issue. The crux of the issue 
are the guys, they're your offensive horses. They are the guys who make all-star teams because of the way they score, mm-hmm. both of them. And and if they are being inefficient, um, then you find yourself with less margin for error. And this team does not yet have the maturity to survive those margins for error on a consistent basis. So something needs to happen. Yeah, it's the two scariest things about this team right now are their offensive efficiency and their inability to play transition defense Mm -hmm. or keep teams out of transition defense. And the primary things that are contributing to that are turnovers, which Ant often plays a big role in, and and just overall floor balance making shots which right, and right. is not doing efficient efficiently right now i mean we put a lot of those things that, that when you go oh the transition defense and turn like, we put a lot of that on cat and rudy um ant belongs in that blame group uh for the major bugaboos of this team mm-hmm. until which is very very possible that shifts in his game and stuff happen um he, right. the, the the good thing is, is it's not happening right now and it's still not like he's playing terrible you know right like right uh so uh, again I, I think pretty much every like rip on ant is a is actually a pointing to the ceiling and how high it is you well, know how far away it is he, from here like i'll give you a classic example ants True shooting percentage is at a career high. He's making 88% of his free throws and he's yeah. hitting over 50% of his threes. Right. So even though he's been leaning into areas where he is objectively terrible, albeit a little less terrible this year than in other years, by shooting 35% instead of 32% or something from mid range, yeah. he's still his. True shooting percentage is at a career high. Mm-hmm. All it would take to take that leap is to lean. He's making 88% of his free throws, but his free throws have not risen since oh, last yeah. year. And that was a point of emphasis mm-hmm. coming into the season. It was the first thing Finch said about yeah. Ant when I talked to him about what he could do better. And it hasn't happened yet. His three-point shooting he is, I don't. I, I think it's the second. Certainly less attempts this year than last year, and maybe than the year before too. He may be like yeah, thirty four percent of his shots were threes last year. Twenty eight percent of his threes have been. And what about previous threes. years? I think he was also right yeah. around. It might have been the year before he was that way. So again, it's uh, he was the room for improvement with Ant just doing what he can do well mm-hmm. a little more often and reducing what he merely does poorly a little less often is again the difference between cat not bowling into the lane yeah you know all these things are just having your top guys play a little more intelligently play a little bit more with an awareness of how what you're doing is helping or hurting the team. And if that happens, you know, what we've seen from the subsidiary pieces, 
what we've seen from the defense, which is like a hell of a foundation to lay a team on, I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. You know, you keep three of your first four opponents under 100 points in the NBA, uh, you know, here we go. So we are setting up a reason for why this team can be scary. Exactly. And also a reason why people want to pull their hair if they have their hair, (laughs) have pull their hair out because uh, it's there for the taking, you know, and, um, and the youth thing, you know, you've got a couple of guys in Kyle Anderson and Mike Conley Mm -hmm. who are as good of a duo of, of tone setters that you'll have. I thought you were going to say of unrestricted free agents. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's a whole other episode. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Should we wrap this one up? Sure, why not? I, I mean, I, again, I, I think I, I think this was good. I, I, I think we, we went through the things. Again, th- that Nuggets game, very encouraging to me. Absolutely. I, I, the, specifically to the, like, I believe a lot more in the notion of they match up well with this. Uh, I think we acknowledged the Rudy and Nas's growth as this season or how, how it's been better than expected and in tandem. Uh, that's big. And and those are things that are very much keeping this team afloat at, at two and two. And we talk about cat and Ant, and those are the things that, you know, make some of those make some more sense, which would make, it makes sense that they would make more sense over 10 more games where Cat's feeling a little bit more accustomed here and Ant has figured out what his role is on this team versus Team USA or whatever. Like, I I, I really think it's funny. You got all mad at Cat and we just ripped that, like, Ant's shot selection and all that. But I weirdly think this is one of the more positive uh, podcasts Look, that, that we've done. If we wouldn't be asking the questions with quite so much vigor or criticizing with quite so much detail if we weren't trying to point out that the two best players on the team, Mm -hmm. the kind of guys that get multiple first-round choices and or starters if they're offered on the open market, could play in a manner that would boost an already really strong core that seems to be playing very well together. I mean, that's the crazy thing. If that sounds like criticism, it's only that, you know, um, all the foods in a feast are on the table and the thing you like the best is not cooked well and everything else is perfect. Then you just go, you send this back to the kitchen and bring it back the way it should be. And this is, you've got an incredible meal, you know? Well, you wouldn't do that if all the other things weren't doing well and that thing was just a little bit better. It wouldn't stick in your cross so much. He's Britt Robson. Follow him on Twitter uh, at Britt Robson. Read him over at Mim Post. He wrote uh, about the Atlanta meltdown. Uh, if you want to check that out, and sure, I'll have something else uh, going up there. Yeah, next, next uh, probably Wednesday. I'll turn it in on Tuesday. It'll run on Wednesday. There you go. Um, yeah, no, uh, no Kyle pod tomorrow. Kyle is uh, out of town. So we'll have the game on Saturday night uh, against Utah. And then Chris and I will talk about that on Monday morning. Until then, he's Britt. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dance
dancing like nobody else around. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.